Welcome to Saga Briefs, where we look at the stories behind the sagas. I'm John. And I'm Andy, but I am not alone, John. I have brought a few guests oh, with me. Lovely. What kind of guests are these? Do we put out the way and old bread for these people? <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, we know how that goes. We don't want that to get messy. Uh, we're <laughs> going to put out our best meats and cheeses and ale for these two. Uh, one of them is the acclaimed ah. director known for such films as The Witch and The Lighthouse and most recently The North. Yeah. That's that's ale and cheese worthy. That's uh, those are some good yes. credentials. Yes, it is uh, uh, enough uh, credentials to earn him a shot at a big budget uh, saga film, which is really crazy. But uh, it happened. Uh, of course, we're talking about Robert Eggers, director and co-writer of the recently released film The Northman. Hey, Robert. Welcome, welcome aboard. Robert. Hi. So happy to be here. We're really glad to have you. And as if that wasn't enough, we've got Robert's friend and co-writer for the film, the incredible Icelandic poet and author Sjön. When he's not writing such brilliant books as Blue Fox, Codex 1962, From the Mouth of the Whale, and Red Milk, he's writing lyrics with his good friend Bjork, or writing screenplays like Lamb and The Northman. And we're very pleased to have you here with us as well, Sjön. Thank you. Wonderful Excellent. to be here. I, I, and I mean, there's 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 ale and meat and cheese for the director. I, I hope you have silver for the poet. Excellent. <laughs> it's in the mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just wait, wait on that. We've got some nice rings coming your way. Um, now, I have to say, uh, one of the cool things I went and saw this film on opening night on Thursday here in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, it's it's a it's a, a fun thing to go to a movie again. First of all, it's another fun thing to see that many mm -hmm. people in the theater. Um, I had a, a pretty packed house for Oxford, Mississippi on a Thursday night. And one of the things that excited me most about it was after the film, the kind of energy that I felt as people were processing what they had just experienced. Um, it felt to me a lot like what I experienced as a younger guy in the 90s when I went and saw Pulp Fiction for the first time when Tarantino was kind of first on the scene and people were really going crazy and very excited about the, the, the style of his filmmaking. I felt that same kind of energy after watching The Northman, um, a great, great experience. Well, I, I went to see it opening night here in Massachusetts uh, and the folks sitting immediately behind me, uh, I was very interested in their reaction throughout the film because I kept hearing them kind of gripping things and moving around. I wasn't sure how they were reacting to the film. The uh, film ended that that cut to black at the end. The big gasp from behind me, and I hear a guy say, "That was a good ass film. I need a cigarette." That rocked. And I turned around and said, "You know, hey, I'm going to be interviewing these guys on Monday. Oddly enough, do you mind if I tell?" So I had permission to share that. But um, awesome. the Massachusetts uh, judgment is, it's a good ass film. <laughs> That sounds like uh, in New England to me. Uh, <laughs> um, that's awesome. Before we continue, I just want to say that I'm like a massive fan of Saga Thing and have been listening to Saga Thing religiously since I, you know, started since since I had lunch with Alexander Skarsgård and and we talked about making a Viking movie. And, you know, I've talked in interviews about how my wife had been interested in the sagas uh, before I, I before I was. And she also is responsible for discovering your podcast. And we <clears throat> listened to uh, started with Njal's saga, like on, on some epic car rides. And then <laughs> and then when, when this became real, I was just walking around Brooklyn all day long, listening to Saga Thing, 
uh, kind of cramming. And so, and, 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 and some of the more, you know, ref the sly and alehood, my only exposure to those sagas aside from like, you know, random reference or footnote and ac- academic paper is, you know, your episodes on them. So this, this saga thing is, was very helpful in making the Northman. So thank you oh. for all the, I don't know whether to thank you or apologize. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it always shocks us that anyone, uh, first of all, finds this because we barely promote it at all. Um, but it, it shocks us that people listen and enjoy because uh, we do this as a hobby. Um, there are you know no commercials. It's all for free. Um, it's just something that John and I love doing. So the fact that other people want to listen, um, it always makes us happy. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Now I want to go watch the film again and look for any saga thing influences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually I wanted to get into uh, a question about the film. Uh, I just mentioned that the the, the film ends with this uh, sort of a very uh, final cut to black at, at a very important moment. I'm trying not to spoil the actual ending. But oh, wait, uh, John, um, we're going to spoil. Everything is spoilers in this episode. So if people are listening well, and they true. haven't seen it yet, hey, uh, they they need to stop and pause, go watch the film. Pause this. Go see the film. <laughs> Come yeah. back. We'll wait for you. Uh, all right. So. Um, you, you, uh, Robert, you said in an interview that, uh, you began with the film's final image in mind. Um, and there are a couple of images that are sort of these striking final images with the, uh, the last moments of Amleth, uh, and then his vision of his family and his vision of, um, his transportation to Valhalla. Uh, can you talk about constructing the narrative backward from where you wanted to get to and maybe even more broadly about how you arrived at the story of Amleth as the one that you wanted to tell? Yeah, so uh, I, I, I was never interested in Vikings um, growing up. Uh, the only macho thing I kind of liked for some reason was Conan the Barbarian, but otherwise like Rambo and Rocky and whatever, it's just, and, and, and Vikings seems to be part of the same thing that I wasn't interested in. And then as an adult, the right wing and, and Nazi misappropriation yeah. of Viking culture sort of cemented my disinterest in it. But then when I went to Iceland, um, the landscapes inspired me. And I thought who, you know, people sailed here in the dark ages and didn't die. I'd like to learn about them. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, and then, and then from that trip, I thought like driving around with my wife, I thought a naked sword fight on a volcano seems to be the way to end a Viking movie if I ever made one. And so when I, and when I, that was kind of the first thing I wanted to get to. So when I, and, and basically like, so I need an Icelandic co-writer in my opinion, no one's going to accuse me of, of misappropriating another white culture, but you know, you guys know, and your listeners know what Icelanders, modern Icelanders relationship is with the sagas, even if they don't want to have a relationship with the, with the sagas. Right. And then of course I met Sean and Sean, I mean, I'll embarrass you, but you know, to me, it's like getting to work with Bulgakov. I mean, it's 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 like Sean's great in spite of his Icelandicness. <laughs> uh, but 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 I needed that. And when we when we first sat down, I said, like, is this a terrible Hollywood ending? Yeah. Uh, and you know, and and what did you what did you say? <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah, I think I just said, like, uh, it's interesting. Let's see how we can get there, you know? 
I mean, it was obviously so grand and so spectacular and uh, amazing that you wanted to go there that I thought, let's let's see if we can get there. Let's see how we can uh, make it uh, completely believable and acceptable that not only are they fighting on a volcano, but they're naked, you know? And uh, <clears throat> I think that sort of like uh, inspired the idea of making him like an actual berserker because we started looking into the berserker lore and they shed their clothes for mm-hmm. battle, you know, as the ultimate statement of their ferocity and, and disregard for their lives. So I think we, we, we started playing around with the idea that maybe both of them had been berserkers or had been in that culture of mm-hmm. fighting naked, you know. And because we yeah. see Amleth almost naked in the first battle, you know, why shouldn't he be naked for the last battle, you know? And, and I think that the other thing was, you know, t- taking a look at nudity as it plays out in the sagas, you know, even if it's through a Christian lens, you know, I decided that it made sense to me that that nudity was tab- taboo in 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 the Viking age, and it and so if these bear shirts, you know, had you know bear skin as well as bear mm-hmm. shirts, actually, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that you know that 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 is a frightening thing, you know, and when Freydis mm-hmm. Eric's daughter exposes her breast, like that's a frightening thing. And mm-hmm. then also looking at no, noting that the next of kin in Ibn Fadlon's funeral uh, or description of the funeral is entirely naked, you know, yeah. and that, that, so that was great to then introduce the nudity yeah. into the funeral scene, which then makes this final duel while it's not like a duel on a cloak, whatever in the, those kind of rules, it becomes like a ritualized, uh, and frightening thing. I'm sure a Viking would tell me to fuck off, but <laughs> but you know, that's a, how we justified it. From a from a literary perspective too, obviously the 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 nudity is the the vulnerability of these characters at this moment, right? They are stripped down to their their emotional cores at the moment that they are fighting. So it it plays that way as well, quite nicely. Well, it was the elemental quality of that which inspired mm-hmm. the idea which is what you're getting at. It just doesn't get any more elemental. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and then actually, I think there is incredible relationship between the images uh, in, in that fight and uh, the ancient Greek vases, the color scheme mm-hmm. of it and the yeah. silhouettes, you know. I mean, yeah. it really becomes more than uh, a Viking, Nordic, epic moment. I mean, it recalls classical battles you know just as far back as we can go you know so that's what i love about it you know when when i when i first saw those scenes you know i realized i mean come on this is a greek vase as (laughs) much as a battle on an icelandic (laughs) volcano well especially the way you freeze at that that final moment um as they both strike each other that that is the 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 vase image to me it's it's so Mm. great yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, many, many questions, but I'm on a, I want to kind of build off of something that uh, Robert had said it, when you approached uh, Sean about this film's ending, this image, 
Um, you had described uh, just a moment ago that you, you thought it was maybe a terrible idea. Um, you described in another interview that you felt like maybe a shitty American um, <laughs> trying to come up with this uh, idea for the end of a, a saga film. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about being an American, just expand a little bit more about being an American working on the sagas. And then I'd love to hear uh, Sion talk about uh, watching Americans uh, appreciate the sagas and work with the sagas. Most of my interests are in Europe's past. And it's strange to be an American filmmaker who likes mostly European art films. I mean, it's not rare in the sort of like A24 tribe of filmmakers that are around my age. Like, I think that's pretty common for us. Uh, but I think um, it's a weird thing. You, you, you know, like uh, a friend, like a European filmmaker can kind of make a small movie with a lot of government funding and uh, it can get good reviews and that's, it can bomb and it doesn't matter and, it, and they can make another movie. But you have this kind of responsibility as an American filmmaker to, to make a return and, and, and to have something that's commercially viable, even if you're doing something uh, outside the norm. And uh, that has nothing to do with sagas. But I think that um, in my work, I'm always trying to just get into the minds of the, the people that I'm writing about and making, and making the film about. And so that's kind of like my, my, my job, but I feel like being an American, maybe there's like, uh, it's, it can feel like it takes extra work to like strip away uh, the, the big consumer American culture and yeah. get to something uh, else. I, I, I hear like, that. There are other and, masters you know, that you're serving when you make this. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And, and one of the things that, that comes with being an American working on these European these European subjects, um, specifically sagas for, for us. Uh, John and I, you know, we love the sagas deeply. We love the Icelandic culture. We love history. Um, and so we dive into it um, now. But now we are presenting that material to the world. We are trying to help the world uh, appreciate what the sagas have to offer. Um, but we can feel clumsy at times in doing that, not least of which when we're pronouncing place names and names that we're unfamiliar with as non-native speakers, um, or we're, we're talking about aspects of the culture that, again, as foreigners, we're not wholly familiar with. So we feel that that that, that sense of um, appreciation, but also are we occasionally overstepping our bounds or misrepresenting or but, misunderstanding? But, but that's why that's why Shown is is here with us yeah. this morning and why he's been with me for the past however many years because you know i i didn't want yeah for for exactly those reasons right yeah so uh so when when someone approaches you with a, a project like this or you hear about some silly podcast called saga thing that's reading all of the family sagas and and beyond um how as an icelander how are you how are you responding to that well you know i i just appreciate that there is interest at all in this mm. material, even though we grow up with uh, with uh, the idea that this is world literature, this is our big uh, contribution to humankind's uh, survival and civilization and whatever, you know. I mean, there are very grand ideas here about the Icelandic sagas. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, we know that they are marginalized that they are within the classics, they are marginalized. And uh, they have only found their voice more or less, I mean, 
in two places, in academia and then in popular culture. And of course, we have the far right appropriating it and whatever. So some of the, some of the signs and terms become visible mm -hmm. through them, but I don't think we should give them too much importance in any discussion about this. We know they are there. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, you know, um, uh, having a, you know, we, we're just swatting, sw swapping them uh, away like flies all the time, you know, but yes. they're there, you know, we swap, we swap yeah. them away with our tails. Um, <laughs> um, um, so, um, so no, so I really appreciate that someone has, has an interest in this and, and wants to go into this deeply and, and, and seriously. And let's not forget with uh, the idea that there is uh, entertainment and joy to be had from this. Absolutely. And that's, of course, what I realized when, when uh, we started talking together, uh, Robert and I, that uh, Robert was looking for not only authenticity and, and, uh, and, and respect, but also the, the, the entertainment value in this, the, 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 the possibility of, of, of telling a good story. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so obvious when you read the sagas that that is exactly what the writers originally kept in mm -hmm. mind at all times, you know. They are telling a bloody good story and they're doing it in the best way possible. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so, so when Robert mentioned the, 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 the sword fight on the volcano, I knew that it was coming from somewhere, you know. It was not just mm -hmm. like, okay, let's have a crazy crazy battle at the end because, you know, it will please the Hollywood crowd or whatever. It, it was coming from somewhere. It, there was a meaning. It was a meaningful thing. And then, of course, when we started working uh, uh, working on this, there were two things that I discovered. One was that my uh, general knowledge of the sagas was much more ingrained in me than I had realized. Mm -hmm. You know, so when I started like working freely with the material, I realized how much I actually knew about this. Mm -hmm. So apparently, I learned something in school. And uh, <laughs> your teachers and would be proud. And then the other thing that was so interesting was that I felt more free, I think, in the material than Robert, mm. because Robert had like the Robert was watching me closely and like asking, mm -hmm. was this it was it really like this? Do you think this is I mean, are you straying away from what is known or whatever here, you know? So he reined me in. And I think this comes from mm. being an Icelander, and we have been rewriting the sakas since the 13th century, you know, we've been doing whatever we want with it since the 13th century. So it was great to have someone who was actually cared more <laughs> than I did about that. <laughs> so um, if I can just follow up on that, uh, one thing that strikes me uh, in this film is the way the narrative does focus so closely on Anla. Uh, right? it's, it's very much a saga story, but a literary saga will often digress and introduce various subplots to kind of fill out the world. Mm -hmm. um, so what you guys had to do was sort of strike a balancing act right, between the sort of traditional forms of saga literature and the narrative needs of a modern film. So how do you, or how did you go about creating that sense of a built out world while keeping your story a little bit more straightforward? I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think earlier drafts uh, and, or, or, and earlier uh, treatments, there were more characters, you know, and there was more stuff. And 
there was a, a horse fight, <laughs> you yes. know, in I, I saw that pen. There's that big shot uh, when they're coming to Iceland and there there's horses in a pen. Yeah. Um, they're like training them. I thought, is yeah. there going to be a horse fight here? Because Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if only. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, that's for the $250 million version. Um, <clears throat> but I think that we shoot in Mongolia. Um, so the, the, um, so, 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 but, but, and I think that we just, we, you know, we do know that finally it is, like a, a, a movie, but I, but, but also we, we wrote a lot more about, there, there was a lot more and photographed a lot more stuff about Guthrin and Fjellner's relationship and Fjellner's mm. relationship with his kids um, that I think would be keeping more into like uh, the, the style of a saga narrative. But um, you know, aside from a contractual runtime of two hours and 15 minutes and it's two hours and 16, oops. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we, the, the, the most entertaining version of the story was focused around uh, Amleth. And actually the more like there, there, it got to a point where I think his story was diminished by knowing too much about Guthrun mm-hmm. and Fjolnir and their mm. relationship and, and, and that, and that we needed to see it like as an audience through his eyes more. Right. So you have to strike that uh, balance in that character as well, then between as uh, Sion was saying earlier, between the, the, uh, the external, the actions and the, uh, the words of the character, as opposed to the internal states. Uh, and that focus on other characters would perhaps take away from us having to do the work of figuring out what is going on in Amleth uh, in these various moments. He's he's struggling to find his path forward. Um, there are specific scenes in the film, uh, for example, the scene with the Sirius, where it becomes clear that he has sort of lost his way, right? and he needs to be sort of helped to see his destiny. That's something that in the sagas and in this film happens sort of externally, right? um, where uh, a film that does give us more of the relationships and the in a sort of modern film way might drag us more into internal states than saga style narratives tend to do. Yeah, and I think that that's something that can be uh, an obstacle for audiences potentially. I mean, I think Alex's performance is really like exceptional, and I think that he yeah. like lets you into these states but there is i mean there is a scene uh like where they're a- after they Anleth and olga are in the hot spring where they have a kind of dialogue that wouldn't really be in a saga but mm-hmm. it was like but but the way that you understand like ale's pain when his brother dies uh or gretcher's complete like fear uh you know from 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 the the droiger whose name i forget glom uh uh you know that understanding of their inner state from those couple brief moments shapes the way you think about those characters through the entire rest of the story and so yes. you, so have even, I mean, that's kind of, this scene's kind of near the end of the film, but understanding that like tiny little bit of, of, of what's going on internally gives him the same kind of like tragedy that those anti-heroes have. I, I think, I think, mm-hmm. or I hope. 
And I think the way he, um, yeah. I mean, Alex's performance is wonderful. Uh, and he does, I think, do exactly that, right? He he does strike that balance that the, the best sagas strike between giving you enough of the character to understand why they do what they do without ever telling you why they do what they do. Um, but that moment at the end of the film, for me, uh, played very much as a saga would in that um, the cadence of the language becomes almost like the verses that are spoken in more emotional moments in the sagas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the line, and I'm, I'm doing it from memory here, but um, I was told that I have to choose between kindness to my kin and hatred for my enemies, and I choose both. That's poetry, right? That's poetry mm-hmm. right there. And that's when you do in the sagas see what a person is feeling inside themselves is when they speak in poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There he says what we need to know exactly at that moment, and it ties everything together. And uh, and he becomes Gunnar Auhlidarenda, returning to his destiny. You know, yes, yeah, finishing yes. the thing. You know, and uh, and. Uh, what 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 became a challenge, of course, when we started like editing out uh, the scenes that Robert talked about, you know, with uh, with Gudrun and Fjölnir, was that we weren't left with uh, very much dialogue in the film because Amleth is a very quiet man, right. you know, <laughs> and he has like these miniature conversations with Olka, you know, and it was very interesting that actually. Uh, how that actually made him more, more and more a saga character. I think you know. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. And as you said, Robert, you know, I mean, that like put the focus on him, on his journey. And of course, you know, the film is its own medium, and uh, and a saga has to be translated into that medium. And I think in the process, we are maybe somewhere between a saga and an epic poem. In an sure. epic poem, you would stay much closer with the with the hero or the anti-hero through, throughout mm-hmm. the poem. You wouldn't allow yourself too many digressions. Right. But I think actually uh, people, the audience, it seems from what I've read on, on Twitter and elsewhere, uh, they experience like the visit to the Mount Dweller and, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, the description of Dreugur's uh, making and things like that. That comes off as a sort of digressions, you know, because mm-hmm. we leave mm-hmm. we leave the real you know or and we go yeah. into or we go we, we leave the everyday real and we go into that part of reality you know right and i think yeah. that in a way gives the feeling of like leaving that world you know and leaving that the story uh, momentarily you know for mm-hmm. a sort of a digression but of course digressions are the real big no no in uh, in uh, <laughs> filmmaking movies you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Always better, keep better, moving forward. Better to do better to do a limited series if you're gonna have major mm-hmm. digressions and and subplots. Yeah. Yeah. But something you know, something a, that a series they, about the Vikings. What an idea! Somebody should do that. <laughs> the something that something that you 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 guys and your tastes, I think, sort of alerted me to, and then I found on my own was the way in which. Uh, the action sequences are really kind of like 80s action movies in yeah. in so many of the sagas and that was something that was both that that was challenging because i think uh 
we have, you know, some witticisms here and there, but we didn't want it to be cheesy, even though it right. like it could have been if we made it even more saga-like. And mm-hmm. I remember that there was something, I don't remember what, that Sean wrote. And I said, I think, I was like, this has gone a little too far. And I was like, you know, the scene where Orlando Bloom in the Two Tower uses it like a skateboard or yes. a surfboard <laughs> down the stairs. And I was like, I don't want to do want that. that. And Sean was like, I agree with you, but the old ones would have loved that scene. <laughs> right. I mean, there are at least two sagas that have a scene just like that. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, moving uh, forward just a little bit, um, I was wondering, because uh, all of the fans of, of Saga Thing and all the fans of, of, of your films, Robert, um, one of the things they come for is the, the accuracy and attention to detail. I want you to talk a little bit about the the effort to create the look and the the historical moment and recreating the culture for the film. I mean, there are some beautifully rendered reproductions that most people won't even recognize. Things by uh, our friend Adam Parsons from Blue Axe Reproductions, right? Um, lots and lots of other scholars have have gotten invested in this project. You've reached out to them uh, from little things like the the headdresses to what they're wearing. Um, whether it be from uh, some Muslim territory or from Finland, uh, that's all meticulously researched to uh, appear accurate to those who would know. The average audience uh, might not know, but it's all there. I know you reached out to museums at Plymouth and Williamsburg when you were working on uh, The Witch. So I'm wondering if you talk a little bit about how did you work on this film? How did you set up this world? What was that process like? Um, I assume extremely involved. Yeah, I mean, I'm really lucky that people people tend to like movies. So even on The Witch, when I was an absolute nobody, you know, Plymouth Plantation was super helpful. I can't, it's, it's astonishing, you know. And there's a guy, uh, Stuart Peachy, who has uh, um, a 17th century uh, farm in the, on, the, on the Cornish border in, in the UK, uh, who is an expert on clothing of the common man who was like, you know, consulting with Linda Muir, my costume designer. Mm-hmm. And, and here we got to really kind of the way that Alex got pumped up, we got to pump up our, <laughs> our you know, the, the scholars that we had, we had. So, cause, yeah. cause I, I, you know, Neil, Neil Price uh, and uh, Terry Gunnell and Joanna Friedrich Stolter yeah. has been on your show. Uh, among mm-hmm. you know just to name a, a few and mm-hmm. um and we uh linda the costume designer when she was having a really hard time finding a cutter uh who's the the people who kind of like make they like really make the patterns and, and cut the clothes and finding a, a skilled movie cutter every uh, it was so busy in the uk we couldn't find anyone and so she said i'm gonna call up Neela Gleisel, who who like literally wrote the book about Viking clothing and she's going to do it. So, so, and then when Neela came on, we got more people who are kind of from the <clears throat> experimental archeology span and uh, living history community to, to work with us. So there was so much passion like flying around um, and, 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 you know, my way of working is to not, you know, uh, create anything, but to just try to recreate. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, 
you know, yeah, like anything that can be like a museum recreation, we tried to, to, to do it that way. Um, and, and, um, and, and, and limit our imaginary powers as, as much as possible. <laughs> um, and it's a fun, it's a fun way of working. I also, I think you can, you know, um, part of what makes a film transportive and have an atmosphere is an, is an accumulation of details. And when you're letting the research drive you, you can uh, like efficient, efficiently um, have a lot more details, but there are, you know, there are some, th- you know, ter- <clears throat> the production designer Craig like really wanted the Oven idol in the temple in Hropsey to be stone. And mm. Neil Price was like, there's no way it would ever be stone, you know? And, but Terry Gunnell was like, we don't know. It can be stone, you know? And so like, uh, and, and so, and that was like permission for Craig <laughs> to, to do that. And Go so that, and, 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 yeah. and I think that that's probably not authentic, but it does look beautiful. And if there was a stone Oven idol, I think that that's not a bad concept of how it would have looked, uh, you know, based, based on the picture stones and, and Gotland and, and, you know, I think Craig's point for, it was like, it's all wood. We've been in wood, 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 and we need something else to like break it up hmm. and I, you know, uh, but, um, but, but there's not a lot of s- stuff like that. Uh, we, 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 th- I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, an exception. And then something that I've talked about a lot. So is that the academic consensus seems to be that there's no uh, uh, consensus. <laughs> well, that's for sure. But that there's no, um, that Vikings didn't wear special clothing for ritual purposes. Right. And so then, but I said to Neil, so is like everyone just walking around covered in blood all the time? Like if, if the, yeah. if the you know, the, 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 the aspergillums of blood is real. And he's like, I've never considered that. I've never yeah. like had to consider that. So, and there was something actually that I heard on your show and I couldn't identify about somebody wearing like a linen shift or some something for some something i don't know in any case L- linda and i came up with the idea of these white bloke bloat cloaks that are covered in blood like uh, that you wash out but the blood stains are still there and it's and they, mm-hmm. they made them white purposefully to show the blood and that is an invention but it's also like you know if you have an ancient text and one word is missing or a couple words are missing you don't just like use mad libs and try things you you know look at all the words around it to try to figure out what the missing words are and that's sort of how we approached where there was holes you know yeah well one of the more interesting Um, ones for me was the the recreation of the berserker right so one of the questions that john and i get asked frequently and we've tried to address either in our rune sack or in a um, special episodes are berserkers right what are they how do they work um and you guys put a lot of effort it seems into reimagining uh obviously doing your research but there's all these steps that aren't there in in the text that you have to recreate because you're working in a visual medium and trying to communicate that stuff uh, so how how did you guys brainstorm the the creation of the berserker dance and the rituals and behavior well i think the sort of there's a the pop culture notion flying around a lot particularly is that they took hallucinogenics to get into the berserk state which 
you know, isn't in the sagas, whatever, but also doesn't seem to make any sense because, like, you can't do anything when you're on mushrooms, never mind, like, the elite <laughs> warrior, the king's bodyguard, the tip of the spear, so right. to speak. So, like, I, you know, that is, so I think um, so the, the, Shonen and I just kind of, I think, agreed that, like, a sh- shamanic war dance seemed to make more sense. And when Neil Price read the script, he was like, that's the that's the that's the state of the art thinking right now. That's you know, so we right. so we felt proud. Yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, but but you know, I think this is certainly something where we are making an interpretation that is 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 maybe something that's potentially based on things that are pre Viking age, maybe you yeah. know. Uh, uh, so I I worked with this choreographer Marie Gabrielle Rodi who uh, specializes in Buto, which I've, is a discipline I've wor- used before on some other things. I, I worked with the choreographer, D- Denise Fujiwara on The Witch, and I, we were watching this Buto performance on YouTube. I said, how is that woman doing that? Denise, how is she doing that? And she said, well, she's, that's not her. Another, something else has entered her. And I mm-hmm. thought, all right, well, we need to, I need, I need this. Uh, so, so, so she, so she was working with these berserkers and, uh, and we, and we were looking at, uh, voodoo and we were looking at African war dances and we were looking at, uh, shamanic rituals in Siberia and then looking at these, uh, helmet plates from the Vendel period of that, that are probably Germanic spear dancers, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, and then trying to smash that all together into this ritual. Um, yeah. 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 I think, I think, I think a part of what you have to do when you're like uh, actually writing a story that has to work, you know, and from the diverse material and the fragments that come to you, uh, a, a lot of, a lot of it has to do with practical thinking. Like Robert was saying about the bloat cloaks, you know, I mean, this is practical thinking. And it means that you've, you, 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 you've um, somehow in your mind, you, 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 you found a way of getting into the place where these people really are. And you're in that place and you start to look for what simply worked, you know, how, how did things work for these people? And what are the practical issues, you know, and the practical issues of having uh, uh, blood on your clothes or whatever, they won't go away, you know, I mean, they're still with us. And uh, so for the berserker, whole berserker thing, you know, I think we, I I think we try to understand what what it meant to be a part of a berserker group Mm -hmm. that goes into battle and uh, and, uh, has created the berserker myths, you know. Mm-hmm. So we are trying to create the source for the berserker myths, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> there are also, let's say, narrative pract- nar- uh, uh, narrative uh, reasons, uh, practical reasons in the narrative for what we go through with Amleth in the, in the berserker mm-hmm. part of the story. One thing was that we couldn't just have this guy going into a village, you know, uh, uh, killing civilians, you know, raping women, you know, uh, uh, smashing babies' heads and things like that. You right. know, I mean, he couldn't be your ordinary brute. You know, we we had to somehow detach him from the actual horror of what is going on. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, 
just putting him in the situation of the of the of the, of the attack on the village was bad enough, you know. Yeah. So by putting him into this state, in a way, diminishes responsibility. I don't know, and uh, and <laughs> and uh, and then making the berserker like this elite group of fighters that goes into the village first and only focuses on armed resistance, you know, that yeah. somehow made the whole berserker uh, role uh, real in the context mm -hmm. of this attack on the village. So this is what I would say is practical imagination. Do you agree, Robert, that, you know, yeah. you just go into the situation and you think, how would things work if you were faced with doing this in reality today? Which is why it's really great working with these people in the experimental archaeology community, because that, that, that's what they're doing. But like we're, mm -hmm. June and I are doing it in the safety of our home offices and they're, you know, doing it outside <laughs> dressed as Vikings, you know? Um, so I, I uh, one, I just want to, uh, I think I heard Siona a minute ago say that, that the problem of having blood splashed over your clothes is still with us. And I may have some follow-up questions about that later because <laughs> <laughs> that's a little disturbing. Uh, but this, this question of practical imagination, um, it applies also when you're trying to find things like the place of religion and ritual in the sagas, um, right? Not just the berserks, but you're talking about like the Odin statue and how you would know how that was constructed and what the materials would be. Um, when you look at the sagas, the saga writers themselves are Christians trying to imagine back to a pagan world. And so there's all these layers that you have to get through to get back to the historical facts, right? To, to whatever degree there are historical facts yeah. to be found. Um, there are so many layers that you uh, have to pass through, but also that even those writers are passing through to try to get back to that reality, right? That, that, uh, that uh, cleft branch being used as an aspergillum is a good example of that, right? That's, that's described in Arabic saga, but, you know, it, in that saga, the guy writing it says, well, it's like an aspergillum. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Because he's clearly thinking through Christian things. Uh, so what's that process of trying to strip away the centuries of accumulated assumptions in Christianity to find your way back to a kind of practical reality? Uh, I mean, it's, it's tricky, you know, it's tricky and, and you can't, and, 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 but I think that also we are, because we're telling a story, we kind of get to pick, I, I do try to in general, go with the academic consensus if there is one. But, but, but where there isn't, which is more often the case, I get to choose what's best for the story, which is great, you know, but I think, for example, like, I don't think that Snorri's hell, that is pretty, su such a shameful place is probably likely, uh, you, you know, I think that seem that does seem very Christian influenced. And, but it, you know, we kind of went with that in the end because it just is clearer for normal people. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the, the, this is one of the, this is one of the, one of the, yeah, um, most interesting things here because uh, so much of this stuff has come through us, like you say, through the Christian writers of the Sakas. But one thing that I realized when we were working on this was that they had their, knowledge about the Viking world, about the settlement time, 
and they were writing it, uh, let's say, 300 years after the fact, you know. Mm-hmm. And I realized that maybe we had the advantage over them of having uh, access to uh, archaeological <laughs> research that they did not. I mean, we mm-hmm. simply had access to to uh, actual things and uh, and and structures and whatever that had been forgotten in the 300 years from the settlement. Sure. And that was an interesting that that was encouraging. Let's say that was encouraging. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But but there were so many interesting traps here, and uh, and um, and and um, for example, we worked with Hökur Thorkelson, mm. who's with Arnastopnen in Iceland, on all the old Norse that you hear in the yeah. in, in in the film, and uh, and it was so interesting for me that uh, when I sent him the fragments from Bosa Saga, that yes. we turn into a song in the film. Uh, he said, "Yeah, well, okay. So this is, yeah, this is from Bosa Saga. So it would not have been uttered or even phrased like that in 914 right. or 15, you know. So it was so interesting for me that he had to take all the all the old Norse texts that we were proposing for use in the film and to time them, to 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 rewrite them so they would mm-hmm. all fit." Into the into the language in Iceland in 915, and 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 I thought that's good. So maybe you know the because I was writing like those faux verses and whatever you know, and 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 doing some some uh, rather embarrassing guesswork in in places, and he made it all right and and absolutely beautiful. But I thought, okay, so Snorri and 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 myself, you know. We're both in the position where we really don't know how people spoke right. in 915. So, <laughs> so, so reimagining yeah. together. Hoiker, yeah. Hoiker, like I had early, earlier versions in the opening monologue, the sorcerer talked about uh, the, like, uh, Anla's death shadow. And he said that would not be a, a Viking Kenning. And I said, well, it's from Beowulf. And he was like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's your mistake right there. That's great. Um, both Robert and, and Sean, uh, but for, first for Robert, I know that language is such a major feature of your previous work. Um, one of the things I love about both The Witch and The Lighthouse is the attention to period appropriate speech and accents and things like that. Uh, this is your first film set outside of the English speaking world and the characters speak in multiple languages here. So that's a huge challenge in and of itself. Um, obviously, you approached uh, Sion to, to help you create, I guess, what would be a more authentic saga style speech, something Sion's just been been speaking about. So really, this is more for, for Sion because he was tasked with it with this, but I know you work together. Um, how did you create this speech that you we see I mean, in the film? And and also, how, what was the reaction? to the language in, in, in the script, uh, because it is archaic and you are using Kennings and uh, it, it, it's cre- quite interesting. Uh, I mean, she, I, Shion, you, you should speak in detail, but I'll just quickly say that, you know, I speaking of Beowulf, I did like Seamus Heaney's translation. I think it struck a nice tone of like ye olde without like becoming right. uh, early modern English, which is my go-to. And Sean often had to like slap my hand and say, stop making this sound like Shakespeare, like uh, (laughs) use less words, stop being so florid. 
Um, and also yes, something the story of Amleth shouldn't have anything to do with Shakespeare. No. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and then, uh, and I encouraged Joan in the early drafts to as much as possible, kind of write the dialogue as like a direct clunky translation mm. from Icelandic so that it would be interesting. You know, and uh, but anyway, but Sean, you 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 should really take the lead on this. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I I I I built the dialogue more or less just on my feeling for what a dialogue in a, should sound like in a saga should sound like, you know, and and then basing it on on everything that I already had in my head, you know, uh, from the sagas there, and uh, and I actually think. It was brave that uh, uh, Robert wanted some of the clunkiness because it is definitely there, and uh, and and we have kept it. You know, there there are there are uh, scenes in the film where I mean people are speaking in like this almost stilted language, you know, and then that is the nature of 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 a saga telling, you know. So yeah. so it's there and uh, and. Uh, but I must say that uh, that Robert is quite good at making cannings himself. So, you know, there are some original cannings in there. Yeah, <laughs> I but think I, 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 I loved think reading the script fail. because Next I could fail. see all of that stuff yeah. a lot more. Because um, you know, you watch the film and you you hear it, but it all goes quickly, and you're you're absorbing the story when it's the first time you're watching. But having the script in hand and reading through, I could see the the care, uh, attention to detail with the language, and I, I really love it. it. It reads like more like a saga as I'm going through it. I'm like, oh, this is familiar. Yeah, and you guys get all the access to the nicknames that don't really appear so much in the movie. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, as, we'll get there as, as well. We'll be talking about that <laughs> <laughs> good Robert your your side of this is uh, uh, we found a quote uh, you said every time period interests me except this one except the one I live in uh, and that the researching that the, the process of kind of uh, uncovering all of this is uh, one of the things that you really enjoy about making your films uh, and obviously that strikes a chord for we academic types uh, but we also know all too well that not all research bears useful fruit. Uh, so sure. this is kind of a question for both of you. Uh, what did you find uh, when you were researching for this film, maybe that didn't even make it into the film, but that sort of maybe shaped your vision for it? And was there anything that you found that was just super cool, but ha ended up being not useful at all? <laughs> well, I think it's funny that, you know, one of the finest sagas ever written is about a, a lawyer and uh, we, you know, we wanted to do it in the, you know, like early in the settlement period so that there was a semi lawlessness and kind of wild West feeling because uh, the litigiousness of Viking culture was something that I was very surprised to learn about and like is only so entertaining. <laughs> Yeah. Although it does I mean, sound it, like an it, SNL it, it, sketch, doesn't it? I mean, uh, uh, Niall Thorderson, Viking lawyer, sounds like something you'd see on Saturday Night Live. I mean, it's it's it, you know, I mean, if, if if you're doing a comedy and and every time someone says "sue me," someone actually does it. You know, <laughs> yes. you, you, we can't have that. You know? <laughs> so so I think it was clever on our, our our side to place place the story before uh, uh, 930 before the establishment mm -hmm. of, of, of Althinki, you know, the parliament. So we didn't have to go 
into all of that. What really does it mean? What does it really mean that Amleth right. kills Thorir at night? I mean, it's a night killing and that he has a sword mm -hmm. that can only use at night, which makes him a murderer, you know, in, 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 within like the justice system as it was established later on, you know. Yeah. So we didn't have to go into all that, but it's there, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. It, it enhances the idea of Draugur being a murder weapon. It's not there, you know, I mean, yeah. There, there is yeah. like a, a scene that will be on the Blu-ray where they're trying to figure out like what kind of, you know, it would DCer or troll is haunting the farm and Fjolnir mentions that he paid settlement for those killed at the Knot yeah. Laker game. Yeah. But but that didn't <laughs> make it into make it in, yeah. movie theater. Yeah, I read that I read that part of the script last night and I thought, oh, oh right. there's the compensation. There's those pieces. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. We yeah. saw a lot of saga pieces that, that were familiar. Um for example, um I think it was Fjolnir talking to Gunnar early in the film uh, around the scene where they're working on a project and Gunnar's like, why am I doing this? Um, but he talks, uh, Fjolnir talks about going into the hills and I'm thinking of Thorolf Mosterbeard yeah. um, yeah. going into the hills and his pride of the landscape and, and the work and all that stuff. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, in, <clears throat> in an early version, in, in an early version of the, of the script, they, they went to the baths, you know, mm. and mm -hmm. I, I really wanted them to go to the baths, you know, uh, because the latest archaeological research here <clears throat> indicates that, I mean, these were real bath places, you know. I mean, these were, you know, you went to the baths. I mean, of sure. course, they were not Roman baths, but these places right. were run by people. You know, you would go there, you would be in the hot pot, you would do this and that. And they were swimming all the time and whatever, you know. So I thought, <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a wonderful surprise it would, will be for, an, for the audience to see like this bath culture. Because so much of the Viking image is dirt and grime, <laughs> you know? especially so, in the film. Right. But they, they were obsessed with going to the baths. They're always yeah. going to the baths, you know. So yeah. that didn't make it to the to the final into the final uh, version, you know. So I think there is a, there are many things. But Knatlegur is there. Yes. And mm -hmm. uh, and I had to like fight a little bit for Knatlegur because Robert hates <laughs> sports, like every good person should do. <laughs> And um, and then I'm very glad, actually, Robert. I saw somewhere that you said that you 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 could like uh, underwrite all the violence in the film apart from the spilling of the guts. Mm. I saw that as and, well. Uh, and uh, so I will say that you know uh, the spilling of the guts has to be there because it's a direct quote. You know, exactly. <laughs> a direct quote. You know, it's. Uh, yeah. I yeah. saw him. He comes in and and the, yeah. the guts fall out, and I thought. I remember this scene from the saga. So yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's perfect. It fits wonderfully. Well, um, we, we've kept you for quite a while. Um, I, I was hoping that we would do this an hour, but the conversation has just been so good. Are you willing to hang out for another just a little bit so we can we can run through our judgment section on the Northman? Can't wait. Of course. Excellent. OK, Great. so as you know, we have a variety of categories uh, to go through with our judgments. We have best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry, and thingmen. Uh, we're going to start it off with best bloodshed. Best bloodshed. It's a category that reviews our favorite moments of bloodshed in the sagas, highlighting the clever ways that saga authors invent to kill or maim their characters. And if Northman is true to the sagas in one area more than any other, 
it is in this category of best bloodshed. We have things like catching the spear and throwing it back, uh, biting out the horseman's throat in the berserker uh, raid, uh, ale style, right? Uh, the Draugr scene, uh, Olga smacking Fjolnir in the face with her bloody hand, thinner nose stub getting a sword through the face. What a great scene that is, the way that that's shot. Uh, the volcano battle between Amleth and Fjolnir, uh, the barn art installation uh, featuring... Uh, <laughs> uh, battle hardy and battle hasty all that stuff is there it's really brilliant so uh, i thought we'd go around and each of us can just choose what it, in, in your mind what is your favorite moment of best bloodshed for the film i mean i'll give it to olga because anya came up with that uh, herself really? uh clace who was playing fjolner was like i think that he would that fjolner would you know rape her even if she was menstruating Either and way, yeah. I said, I'm sure you're right, but we have to like, kind of like your character a little bit, even though you're the villain in order for this to work. So I'm like texting Joanna Friedrich's daughter being like, was there uh, a taboo on menstruation in Viking culture? And she was like, I've never been asked that before. Uh, and then she came back after talking to a bunch of people, including I think Carolyn Larrington and they're like, no, uh, so then Anya said, what if I just reach down, like grab a handful of menstrual blood, blood and slap him in the face? And I said, that is a, that's a good call. Yeah. Um, so we'll go with that, even though it's, yeah, it's definitely one of those moments that if we were reviewing, you know, if this is the saga that we're reviewing on the show, um, it's one of those moments that stands out as really unique to that particular saga. And it, mm, so it gets, yeah. Uh, yeah, it yeah. would absolutely get a lot of attention in that way. Um, and it felt um, uh, while uh, bloody and crude and something you might not see in the sagas, it, it fit really nicely, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. um, so, so great, great yeah, choice. There. I, you know, a, a woman's slap, you know, we, we got a yes, woman's slap. And we know about that. Yep. You know, yeah. Yep. So it was, yep. it was fantastic. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, actually, uh, my favorite bloodshed is uh, bloodshed that you don't see. I, mm. I really love Amleth killing the two guys in the shit house. You yes. know, you know, <clears throat> and uh, I, I love it because he kills them in the shit house, and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and they have earlier made a joke that he that they will miss him from cleaning the shit house. Cleaning it up, yeah. Now he kills mm -hmm. them in the shit house, and then I just love that moment. I love the moment when. When uh, Amleth Alexander moves into the frame and reaches for his sword, you know, I mean, just the Enjoy. grace of that movement, you know, is so amazing. Mm -hmm. so, and that's the so, beginning of the real violence uh, on yeah. on the farm, which is says, we've been waiting for that, right? Worry not, you will not. You, you, worry not, um, you're the first and not the last, or something. He says. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, and so, I'll so say I'll my best bloodshed is definitely what comes right after that. It's the uh, the Slepnir scorn horse uh, on the wall the next day. It's, the camera just pans past it. I suppose there are things that would be too disturbing <laughs> if you linger on it, but um, that is amazing. I mean, and that that once again, it's not something you might specifically see in the sagas, but it has such a saga feel to it. Uh, yeah. The I mean, the idea of the scorn horse, the idea of uh, an Odinic symbol. Uh, and the idea of desecrating the bodies of your enemies all sort of wrapped into one package. It's, that's that's mine. Absolutely. Great one. Um, I uh, had to pick the, the Draugr scene simply because as soon as he starts digging into that mound, I'm thinking, please, please fight a Draugr. Uh, this is all, I mean, this is why I've come to the, this film. Whatever the film is outside of this, I need this moment. 
Um, and and it paid off in such an interesting way, especially with the choice of of uh, flashing back to him taking it the the, you know, the skeleton just falls. Um, I love that scene. Uh, the fight is great. The use of the moonlight, uh, you set that all up with the language leading into it in terms of a, a warning that he was given by the sorcerer. Um, it, it was so directly from the sagas that um, I was cheering the whole way through that. So excellent on that one. And the very so careful placement of the Draugr's head at the end of the battle. Uh, also, oh, yes. Excellent yes. saga moment. <laughs> I, I leaned over to my wife while, while watching that. As he cut the head off and I said, you know where that head's going. And then- <laughs> And we both we both just laughed out loud. And I, I think, you know, may, we might be the only ones in the theater that really got what was going on there. Uh, but everyone it always, it always gets a laugh, but nobody yeah. you know. understands the context. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I so think good. people just think that crazy Eggers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course. More, more, more ass humor from Eggers. Body, Body count. count. Our, our next category is body count. Now, uh, John and I both saw the film in the theater. We didn't sit there with our tally sheet. Um, I'm curious if either of you have any sense of uh, the body count for the film that you've created. It's got to be pretty high. It's got to be high. I mean, just just all the old people and children in the Slavic yeah. barn is, yeah. you know, getting yeah. rid of like 25 or so right there. It's a lot. I don't know. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, hard to say. Um, but I, I, I was like, after, after I watched, I was like, man, that is a high body count on that one. But, uh, uh, but John, why don't you do nicknames? Jump over there. Oh, well, I mean, how could I not? Nicknames. This is one of those, this is a category that I think uh, the script really shines <laughs> Yes, <laughs> because there really are, does. I mean, you guys really went to town on the nicknames and not, all of them uh, are are named in the in the film. I suppose people stick around for the credits, which they should. Uh, they, they get should. a little bit more of the details. But <laughs> um, I mean, you've got some of the typical, you know, Thor the Proud, Hammer the Fool, uh, Alan the Irish. Uh, but uh, Finner Nose Stub, um, mm-hmm. that's a lovely one. Uh, uh, Battle Hard and Battle Hasty, which I'm assuming is a reference to Ale Saga. Uh, uh, Gunild Shipbreasted. Uh, thank yes. you very much for that. Uh, uh, Thorfinn Toothnasher, uh, Grimmer Skullhammer, fantastic. Uh, and Kettle Whale Sided uh, is yeah. a lovely one. So I think if we can each just pick our own favorite nickname uh, from this story as well. That is a hard one. Uh, Grani Battle Screamer is pretty nice. <laughs> and it, who, who is it? Scarpathen seal testicle? Who got sealed? No, you, you uh, had uh, Scarpathen Norwegian killer. Right. Leaf is seal testicle. Okay. Leaf seal's <laughs> testicle. Uh, I will go with Fjölnir the brotherless because yeah. there is mm-hmm. it's, it's so cold. It's so cold, you know, because with like like with so many of the of the nicknames in the sagas, you know, you you, you have to do a double take on them, you know. And yeah, in this yeah. case, you would not automatically guess that he's brotherless because he himself killed his own brother, you know. So it's so cold, you know. It's so cold mm-hmm. that the guy walks around with this <coughs> deed stuck to his name, you know. Yeah. And uh, and also the sorrow. I mean, there's everything in it. It's the loss of the brother. There is the sorrow of not having the brother. You know, being a brotherless mm-hmm. in the sagas is a serious shit, you know. So okay. I, I I will I will choose brotherless, which is the maybe least fancy one, but, uh, but for me it's somehow the story hit behind it. very hard. 
Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah, I think I would go. I was I was thinking uh, about Granny Bottle Screamer because I, I just love that name. It it, yeah. it, it screams to me. Um, but since uh, Robert, you chose that one, um, I'm going to go with uh, Torvalder uh, Giant Crusher because um, there's definitely a story there, <laughs> and uh, I would love yeah. to see that played out. Uh, and I I have to uh, say that I would choose Leaf Seal's testicle because I mean. Honestly, how do you not? Uh, but uh, <laughs> Grim Skullhammer is also that that actually feels like one that I feel like I should find in a saga somewhere. I feel like that's that's right on that edge of being yeah. a real one. The, yeah. I, I just so imagine you... quickly. There is also a lot of this nickname culture in the film industry. And uh, I oh. want to share a story with you <laughs> that I couldn't remember the name of the of the operator of the oculus head which is a certain kind of head that rotates in a way to get certain shots that we need to get and uh and so someone said oh it's dog shit dave i said <laughs> okay how how do you how he get that name he's like well we were shooting this movie in alaska and we were all using snow to make tea and dave took some snow that had dog shit in it oh my god <laughs> Uh, oh and God. drank it. And I couldn't, oh, I always oh. remember dog shit Dave's name after that. Yeah. <laughs> it helps. It really helps. And you get a sense of who he is from that, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, there's, there's, there's also Ragnar Coldmouth. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, that's very a scary good. one. That's a scary one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not, that, that's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a nickname in the movie. That was, he wasn't a crew member. Right, right. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it could have been a crew, crew member. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. A more, a more modern crew, 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 crew member name is there was a guy working on the film here. I think he's he's Halle Bahama. Halle, Halle Bahama. Bahama. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Notable witticisms. Uh, our next category is notable witticisms. Uh, as both of you know, these sagas are full of clever one-liners and witty retorts that really offer a bit of humor and uh, sometimes wisdom in an otherwise rather grim moment. Uh, it's the stuff of the 80s action films uh, that we were talking about earlier, Robert. Um, we liked watching those. Uh, and so what we would like to do is highlight some of the better, more humorous moments in the sagas that we read. Now, The Northman, uh, especially once the revenge narrative starts, isn't exactly a hilarious movie, uh, but you did manage to slip in some great lines. Um, we've selected five of our favorites just to kind of ease us through this. Um, mm -hmm. I'll run through them really quickly. And if you have any that you can think of that uh, I don't mention, uh, please let us know. Uh, but number one is in response to Hallgrimmer Half-Troll saying that many would wish to be in your fine shoes early in the film. Fjolnir says, like a stallion's cock, even the finest leather shrinks with age and my shoes no longer fit. That's <laughs> fucking brilliant. I just love that. Um, then we've got Hamer's quip uh, when Fjolnir enters the hall. He says, look, see how the queen's cup grows wet for more men than her king. What metal might buy a fragment, uh, fragrant sip? Sweet silver or hard iron? And that's, the, of course, the Willem Dafoe moment where he slaps the, the giant phallus that he's wearing underneath his cloak. Uh, good stuff. I sent I sent Willem a, a Terry Gunnell article about Viking fools, and there in the article Terry talks about them wearing red leather phalluses, and Willem uh -huh. immediately writes me, "I need a red leather phallus." 
<laughs> now, did he keep it? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. Somebody um, left uh, the site with that. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Uh, number three is after uh, Amleth. Uh, he's he's down in the temple with his father. Um, uh, King Ar- Arvandil has burped and Amleth farts in response. And I, I just love uh, the face of Ethan Hawke as he stands up and takes that big whiff and says, I smell a clever pupil. <laughs> I mean, big <laughs> laugh in the theater for that one. Well done. <laughs> uh, number four, when Omleth finds Olga after the uh, Knotlaker match, he says, were you lost? And she replies, only if you were searching for me. That one's not laugh out loud funny, but I, that's the kind of stuff we like to highlight in notable witticisms, that kind of the clever little bits um, that reveal something of the relationship there. I think that's brilliant. Um, and then number five, our, my last one, uh, as Fjolnir's men look at the brutal display on the barn, uh, Finner Nostub says, could it be the Christian swines? Their God is a corpse nailed to a tree. First of all, very saga line. Second of all, uh, another good laugh in the theater, especially here in Mississippi, where they take that stuff seriously. I was glad people were laughing. <laughs> so of those, of those five or something that you might want to add uh, on your own, uh, what would you pick for your notable witticism? I'll go with uh, Sean first. Uh, you know, come on. It's it's not fair to ask us to pick our favorite. Witticism I know. From the which of your children do you wrote, like best? But yeah, which wrote, of your children is your favorite? You know, I mean... No, I think uh, you you've picked out some of the some of the best, you know. Hmm. Sean wrote most of these, so I can proudly <laughs> say that I like when Amleth brands himself and looks at the branding iron and says, uh, "If when I find oh, your yeah. owner, I will thank him for the warmth you gave." Thank me. him for the warmth you gave. Yes, <laughs> also a really good one. So Sean's going to abstain, and I understand I'm as, abstain, a, as yeah. A, yeah. Oh no, fair enough. Fair enough. John, what do you think? <laughs> I I mean, this is not going to make me sound like a particularly intellectual person, but I smell a clever pupil. Um, I, same thing in, in the theater where I was. It got a big reaction, and I I was very tickled by it. There's <laughs> 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 uh, uh, something about the way he said it. He really, I mean, I we, we when I first talked to him, I said, it's exciting because you and I both know that this is in your wheelhouse, but nobody else does. And when you see Ethan Hawke, Viking King on the page, it sounds like a bad idea. But, you know, when we see you coming in on that horse, everyone's going to know. You oh, know? yeah. 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 He, yeah. he handled it really well. I, it's sad that he has to go so early in the film because I, I would li- really like to see him choose some more scenery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he, he was amazing in this, you know, and and he really so when he he comes riding through the gate, you know, I mean he yeah. he is really the Viking king returning, mm-hmm. yeah, from his from his battle mission, you know. I mean, I, I it, it's really amazing, and and he actually he actually, <clears throat> you know, I mean, you mentioned a few times, Robert, how how much people are bringing to the bringing to the story and, and and bringing to the film you know of the actors and the, and 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 the, like linda the, the the costume costume designer and 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 craig the, the 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 artistic director who actually we should mention robert came up with the idea of of making the display into a slatener wasn't it mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Craig, Craig, it was Craig's idea. Yeah. Yeah, because I just Thanks. wrote like this many lacked creature, whatever, yeah. you know, monstrosity. Mm-hmm. And it, it was so spot on to make it Slatenet and, and an Odin 
Odin reference, you know. Although, right. <laughs> although Finner <laughs> Nostub, who is played by a Norwegian actor, Elder Scar, he has the line about the like cr- Christians nailed to the tree, but yeah. he says, "We would know that that's Slickner," and I was uh, yeah. like, "Eldar." Just said the fucking line. Like. Just, yeah, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, uh, so mentioning uh, Finner again brings us to our next category. Oh, oh glory. We have to choose these among the saga's villains, antagonists, and any characters who just rubbed us the wrong way. That's right. Yeah, this is one of those categories where John and I often disagree and argue for uh, longer than we should. Yeah, and that didn't change with the Northmen. Uh, no, it did not. <laughs> uh, we, I think uh, this is where Andy and I came away with very different opinions about the film. Uh, and we argued last night at length about it, basically to get it out of our systems before we yes. came to talk to you. Uh, so we'll spare you all that and jump right into the list and see where things fall out. So each of us gets to pick our outlaw. Yeah, now I would I would love if we could come to a majority ruling on this one, uh, where three <laughs> of the four of us uh, agree on something, but that might not happen. We will just have to see. Well, we got a okay. big boat to send them out of the island with, so it's fine. Yeah, right. So the candidates we came up with are uh, Fjolner, um, Finner Snubnose, Gudrun, Thorer the Proud, and Thorfinn Toothnasher. Uh, so. From among that list, or uh, a write-in candidate, if you have one, uh, who would you outlaw from Iceland? I think Thorfinner, the the who's played by uh, Half Thor, aka the Mountain from Game of Thrones. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. nothing good about that guy. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, he's so he ruins the game. <laughs> going after the you know opposing chieftain's like uh, pubescent son is a pretty low yeah, right. Bar. Yeah, lining him up for that croquet shot is uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. very disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I agree. I'll, I'll vote for. Very good. See, I like, I like the way that this is shaping up, John, because it, it plays into our argument last night, and uh, <laughs> I, I think I might end up winning this one because, uh, John, you go ahead and tell your candidate, and then I'll, I'll, I'll follow that up. I mean, I, I would probably choose Goodwin uh, <laughs> because I think. <laughs> When we, when we get down to it, I mean, she's the one who instigates all of this, right? She's the one behind the scenes, pulling the strings, as we often see in the sagas, right? It's Gisli, Kari Gislason uh, wrote recently uh, that the reason that women in the sagas have the best lines and, and do these sort of amazing things by goading people on, when your weapons are words, you're going to say something interesting. Yeah. Uh, and she is, you know, without until the very end of the film, uh, we don't really see her getting violent. Instead, she is a spreader of violence. Right? She's a carrier of violence. So to me, she was the she was the most irredeemable character. But I admit Thorfinn is also he's pretty clearly not a good guy. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in terms of the saga characters, we typically would uh, exile from the island. Uh, Thorfinn or he fits the bill really nicely. He might have a, a yeah. fairly small role, but he does all of the things that uh, mark him as irredeemable. Whereas you have someone like uh, Fjolnir, who I know is the antagonist of the film, but I don't see as necessarily an evil, terrible, irredeemable person. Um, I think that's um, it, it, that there's enough in the film to suggest that, though his handling of, of, of Olga and of the slaves and of his brother are, are questionable to some extent. Um, I, I want to keep him around. Um, questionable. <laughs> to some extent. But some no, extent. I, I'm, I'm with you. But I do think, I think, you know, the thing is with Gudrun is that 
you know, she's living, you know, uh, you know, it's, well, it's, it's a much better period to be a witch than the early modern period, but it's still a hard period to be a woman. And like, Mm -hmm. while you're absolutely right, John, like about Guthrie at the same time, like she's a fucking survivor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's a survivor, you know? And, 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 and like pretty much everyone in this movie, she's got a lot of baggage and a lot of trauma, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a hard, it's a tough world. I agree. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, uh, There's an Icelandic uh, guy I was talking to who saw the film in LA at the premiere there. And he, he went there with a with a with a, an American friend, and he said that you know when uh, when Gudrun's betrayal happens, that the audience was like you know gasping and visu- visibly shaken, you know, while he mm. from right from the beginning, because he's an Icelander and knows knows his sagas, <laughs> he was waiting for that moment. <laughs> he said you know, he, and he thought you know yes. I knew it, and and his friend was like, "What?" You know, <laughs> so that was very, very, very nice. I just wanted mm-hmm. to say that Ethan Hawke earlier, I, I, you know, I got sidetracked. Was that uh, he? He he was the one who he, he really asked for a very, very strong, um, uh, very, very strong, good last words for the for Irvantil, you know. And and we worked on that, you know. So when he says, uh, "No, no, no half breed," you know, uh, wearing a ring made, makes no half breed a king, you know. I mean, it was it was a request for from from Ethan to mm. to uh, enhance the last words of King Urvandil, and and for me, it, it it showed how well he understood the role. The character he was mm-hmm. he was going yeah it wasn't it wasn't just like I want a better speech like he no. had you know specific reasons why like th- this uh, you know he needed to prophesy the end of Fjolnir somehow yeah yeah thing man. Uh, our final category is where we look at the saga's best men, best women, uh, the protagonists, the people that uh, have impressed us with the quality of their character and the deeds that they accomplish. So to keep this simple, I'm going to say we don't have to pick separate people. We can each pick our favorite person uh, in the Northman, someone that we would like to have in our hall as a reliable and worthy thingman. Uh, Robert, why don't you pick first on this one? You've got a, a whole cast of characters to choose from. Who's your your person you're bringing with you? I mean... Either Olga of the Birch Forest or Elshilder Hovgizia. That's oh, for them. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's pretty much everyone else does something fucking horrible. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess Elshilder is like sacrificing people, but that's just her her job as the <laughs> <Yeah, okay>. priestess. <laughs> Right. So you've already mine's already off the table. Uh, so well, you can you can pick whatever you want. <laughs> who did okay. you Who did you want, John? Oh, I was going for Olga, definitely. Yeah, yeah. She's very useful to have around. Uh, <laughs> Extremely, yes. She can calm you when you're you're nervous and upset. She's got herbs to put in your mouth. Right. Uh, yeah, she's yeah. Got mac. Think, and, uh, yeah. She can cure you very quickly uh, with a dip in a hot tub. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Sion. No, no, I, I also go with Olga. You know, I think she, ah. I mean, she, she is possibly the only good character in the whole whole right. story. I mean, <laughs> everyone else is like, you know, yeah. Yeah, really. Someone that you, you really couldn't trust, you know, 
But it yeah. seems mm-hmm. that you can trust her. I mean, if you are relatively decent, she will, she will, she will stick with you. You know. Yeah. Right. If you deserve uh, her trust, you get. Yes. It. Yes. Uh, that's right. She's also not that's above right. putting hallucinogenic mushrooms in your soup. Well, if you deserve it. <laughs> yeah. You want it, yeah. If if you're if you're on her team, you're all set. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's exactly why I would be picking her because <laughs> I want her um, inside the tent throwing mushroom soup out, not outside the tent throwing mushroom right. soup in. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I think it's a unanimous choice on on Olga here. Uh, that's who I would pick as well. Just uh, evaluating mm-hmm. all the characters and weighing them. Um, I do appreciate Fjolnir and and Gudrun's approach. Uh, their stories, their backstory, the, the the tragedy of of their lives, and the motivations that cause them to to behave the way that they do. Um, but when you put them up against uh, a person like Olga, yeah, it's Olga's going to win every time. She's great. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only does she fight the berserkers off uh, uh, reasonably well with her, yeah. her little her little knife, uh, so she's feisty. Uh, she's got skills mm-hmm. uh, to manipulate everybody. Uh, magic to help us out. Uh, why not Olga? She's the best. Why not Olga? Although. The you know the maiden king has potential. Yeah, that's true. Well, she's she's got her. Win, so. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I yeah, that's a moment that I really love. The end of this, and we haven't even talked uh, in this about the uh, the family tree. Right? Oh this yeah, beautiful image so that recurs in the film. Uh, I think probably my favorite visual of the film is that mm-hmm. recurring family tree and how that Especially develops with the family tree being, and tells us the story. Uh, veins of blood of is, is a great choice. Yeah. Well, this yeah, is no, this beautiful. is shown, but you know, it's a way to do, uh, you know, the introduction of Loxala Saga uh, visually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and um, and and it's also based on the tree from the Osseberg tapestry, um, which mm. uh, which Neela Gleisel, uh, who I mentioned earlier, who was consulting with the, on the clothing, she said, you know. Every Viking story we have is written at the earliest 200 years after the Viking Age. That tapestry is a Viking story mm-hmm. from the Viking Age. And so it means so much to me to see that you guys used it, you know. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, there's other, you know, there's interpretations uh, of that that are more closely aligned with Adam of Bremen or, you know, things you can more easily point to than how Shion interpreted it. But mm-hmm. I still think it was, you know, cool. Yeah. Love it. But yeah, it wasn't an amazing piece of saga shorthand right there though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, son of, 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 exactly. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. It's a way. Yeah. You get that across in just a moment. It's wonderful. <laughs> uh, the, the last question we always ask uh, is what is your favorite saga and why? Um, and I think this time we can ask Sion first, uh, <clears throat> or uh, feel free to say that you'd rather recommend something else. <laughs> uh, well, at the, you know, I mean, it, it's, it varies, you know, at the moment it is Gretisaga, you know, yeah. mm. possibly because it's the last one, you know, I, 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 I dealt into, you know, and, and I actually listened to a fabulous reading of it by uh, uh, Oscar Halterson, the, 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 the scholar. He, he did an amazing mm-hmm. reading of it mm-hmm. in the 80s that they put online not long ago. And oh, it wow. is just, uh, it, it's so wonderful to, to listen to his, his, his uh, reading of it. And 
whenever there is like a little little something here and there to to explain to the to the modern audience i mean he does it so neatly he just like makes this small pause and says that is a canning for and then just continues and mm. just like i mean That's it's saga is so amazing because obviously as you know i mean it's one of the later sagas you know and uh, and it is somehow the final saga it's some mm-hmm. somehow the author took everything he really he did, or really. see loved from the sagas yeah. and managed to put it into this one amazing saga so great saga right. for the time excellent being. choice yep. excellent choice <laughs> so uh, yeah I, I so hard yeah you know gretir a it and air biggest saga you know those mm. probably you know yeah Oh, excellent. Absolutely. All right. Before we let you go, are there any other projects that you guys uh, are working on that you want to mention? What are you guys up to right now? She owns. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go first, Robert. <laughs> I'm just, you know, uh, teaching my son how to ride his bike. That's what oh, that's I'm great. up to right now. <laughs> well, a well-deserved excellent. break after all the work you put in on the North. Yeah. 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 And I'm just here in Reykjavik breathing in the first Good days air. of summer you know we yeah. just had the first day of summer uh on uh, thursday and yep. um, someone pointed out that the first day of summer i think is two or three weeks earlier in iceland than in, in the rest of scandinavia this is an old old uh, old old day on our calendar mm-hmm. and what an optimism you know to, to have <laughs> the first day of summer that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> after, after the winter you guys just had a 10 yeah. degree summer um, day <laughs> yeah, I was That's I was good. there so, for the winter this year, and I can tell you that that summer, everyone was looking forward to that summer. Uh, around about late February, early March, uh, it was a tough one this year. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, well, excellent. thank thank you guys both so much for coming and talking to us. Uh, this is yeah. great. Yes, so I've been, I've, been, I've been waiting for years to do this. <laughs> oh, well, I was so glad. And thank your uh, wife well, for uh, you. introducing the podcast to you. I really yes. appreciate her doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and thank yeah. you for the podcast. It's 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 wonderful. I mean, how you're bringing all these people into the world of the sagas with such yeah. wisdom and the wit. Oh, thank well, you, thank you, thank you, uh, and bringing them to see the Northmen. Uh, That's right. <laughs> uh, the, Robert Eggers and Sion, creators of the Northmen, out in theaters now. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're a saga reader, which I assume you are, if you're listening to this podcast, you are definitely going to want to experience this, and I think experience it in the theater. It's a it's a Absolutely. cinematic experience, and you get too few of those these days, films that need that cinematic experience. And once you've gone to see it, um, write in and let us know what saga-based Easter eggs you find in the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Robert, so thank you so much for coming, guys. Uh, so much fun to talk with you. Uh, and that is going to do it for this episode. We're going to be back soon with the next installment of Lax de la Saga. Uh, and uh, we have other interviews coming and uh, many other subjects to talk about. So we've got a busy summer coming for ourselves. We awesome. do have a busy summer. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Good luck on Lock Sala Saga. I yeah, look yeah, to thank you. Thank you. We may have to borrow the family tree from you. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Until next time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye for now. Oh, <laughs> my